the prescription for disaster is to totally let down our guard and in the spring assume that, you know, we had it with COVID, we're over COVID. As you know, we're, we'll be over COVID when COVID is over us, and that has not happened at the present time. And particularly with these variants circulating, I think we need to be extraordinarily careful and wise. And so we can open up our circles, but we need to do it slowly and carefully. Welcome to 20 Minute Health Talk, where some of the brightest minds in healthcare help us break down the latest news and developments. I'm your host, Rob Hoyle, alongside my co-host, Chris Gazuski, And today, our very special guest is Dr. Bruce Farber. Dr. Farber is Chief Public Health and Epidemiology Officer for Northwell Health, and he's also the Chief of Infectious Diseases at North Shore University Hospital and LIJ. Dr. Farber, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a long, strange trip, this whole COVID thing. And just as we're starting to feel good and we have a vaccine, all of a sudden in the news, we're hearing about variants, the South African variant and uh, the UK variant. And it's all very scary. Explain to us what is a variant and what we need to know about it. Sure. Thanks for having me. So I think uh, people will recall that the uh, coronavirus has one specific antigen called the spike A protein that's on the surface of the virus. And that critical protein is the target of all of our vaccines, all of them, as well as our crucial monoclonal antibodies. And they have been genetically engineered, those vaccines, to bind to that spike A protein, which then allows it to neutralize the virus that is trying to infect you. So the matchup, the lock and key between the antibodies that we make and that spike A protein are critical. Any changes in that lock and key on either side lead to problems. All viruses undergo mutations. They do it all the time. What the problem is, is when those mutations occur in the spike A protein and they're significant enough to create problems with the binding to antibodies or the binding to the epithelial cells in our nasal passages, that can change the whole tenor of the infection. So let me be very specific. We were doing very well. Our vaccines work very well, but now these variants are cropping up. One of the variants, the B117 from Britain, as well as the African 351 and probably the California, as well as the Brazilian P2 variants, all seem to be more capable of binding to our nasal epithelial cells, which are making them one more contagious. Secondly, many of those variants also have mutations in that spike A protein, such that those original antibodies, monoclonal antibodies, don't bind as, as well. And that certainly applies to the monoclonals in the South African strain. Thirdly, some of those variants, particularly the South African and Brazilian one, don't match up quite as well to the vaccine-induced antibodies as the regular wild-type COVID uh, virus that preceded it. So those are all serious alarms and worthy of the attention that is being paid to them. On the flip side, and why I still want to be pretty optimistic, is that although these things don't work as well, Fortunately, all of the vaccines, with the exception of one, the AstraZeneca, have been shown to moderately prevent disease, not quite as well in the other strains, but more importantly, prevent hospitalizations and death. And I think that's, quite frankly, what we have to look forward to with these variants in the future. South African variant is now in New York. 
The B117 is in New York and all over the United States. It is spreading slowly and most likely will become a dominant strain over the next several months. And so that is all the reason why we have to get people vaccinated and continue to be cautious because it's going to be a little bit more contagious. Regarding the South African strain, it's all the more reason we need to get our people vaccinated because even if we can't prevent 100% of symptomatic disease, we can at least keep people out of the hospital and free from death. So what can people do? So first of all, our country was a little bit behind the eight ball compared to the UK in looking for these variants. And so that's why I think we're slowly catching up. And we are catching up. We're dramatically increasing the number of viral specimens that are fingerprinted to look for these variants. What we can do about the variants is that, number one, we know that despite the fact that they're more contagious, they are prevented by social distancing and by masking and all the things that you've gotten used to doing over the past year. So that's the first thing that we have to double down on. This is, although society is opening up, this is not the time for unvaccinated people to be going into crowds without masks and bars and the like. That would be a big mistake, number one. Number two is we need to get vaccinated. It's one thing to get COVID and be sick for a couple of days with one of these variants. It's another thing to wind up in a hospital and be critically ill. So Dr. Farber, you're saying if you do get the vaccine and all of a sudden you do come in contact with one of these other variants and you do get it, the vaccine may not stop it, but it'll help make minimize the disease. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. It'll ameliorate it. And that's very similar, by the way, to what happens with flu. How many people over the last 20 years have told me I got a flu shot, but I still got the flu? And my answer is absolutely. The flu vaccine is not particularly good vaccine at preventing flu, somewhere between 40 and 60 percent at best, clearly inferior to the COVID vaccines. But what it is pretty good at is preventing people from getting the flu and winding up in a hospital and dying. And so it's analogous to the fact that with at least these variants, even if it's only 65 efficacious, 65% efficacious, which is roughly the right number for most of these vaccines except AstraZeneca, it at least will prevent the other 35% of people from getting critically ill. And that's, uh, we could be getting some good news soon with an EU emergency use approval of Johnson & Johnson's vaccine. Uh, and that's single dose. And it, uh, I believe it was somewhere between 66 and 68% efficacy. Um, talk about that and how that may help accelerate, get the population vaccinated. Sure. Well, yes, the Janssen & Janssen vaccine, I predict, will be in the United States on the market by within a week, maybe a week and a half. It will be approved uh, probably uh, Saturday um, of this week. And um, it is gonna be a very helpful vaccine. Why? Because all vaccines are helpful at this point in time. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine similarly prevents disease in a moderate percent, depending upon which group you look at, somewhere in the 66 to 70% range, roughly. Um, but equally important is it's very good at preventing hospitalization and death. And that's what's most important. It is a single-dose vaccine. It's the first viral vector vaccine that has been shown to be efficacious at preventing serious infection in these variant strains. The AstraZeneca vaccine, which is the only other viral vector vaccine, 
um, did not show that efficacy in that particular subgroup of people. It's a single dose. It doesn't require a cold chain. It can be stored in a regular refrigerator for three months. It can be stored in a regular freezer for several months. Um, it's, it's really going to be a lot easier to use. People can get that in doctor's offices. People can get that in assisted living places. People who are homeless, who can, can be um, vaccinated with a, a, a mobile van, for example. It's going to be very helpful in those settings where we're not going to be able to get people back for a second dose. Anybody who can get vaccinated with any vaccine should at the present time get vaccinated because the sooner you get vaccinated, then again, that's your protection from avoiding hospitalization and death, which are our most important um, endpoints of this epidemic. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine is also has a two-dose trial that will come out in the next few months and probably will have better efficacy but it seems to produce pretty long-lasting immunity, at least serologically, out to 71 days where antibodies are increasing, not decreasing, with many other types of, um, with, with infections, for example, where antibodies start going down several months after you become infected. So I'm hopeful that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine will produce longer-lasting immunity, and it's simple. And by the way, it's also very inexpensive. The vaccines will cost only about $3.50 per vaccine. That's only a tenth the price of the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine. And that will be extraordinarily helpful, uh, particularly in countries that cannot afford um, the more expensive messenger RNA vaccines, and particularly those countries that don't have a cold chain to store them. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and it's, as you mentioned, it's increasingly important for healthcare workers to get vaccinated in case these variants show up in their hospitals, right? Absolutely. We want to protect our patients. We want to protect our family. We want to protect ourselves. And I am definitely a believer. Look, a lot of people, when this epidemic started, said, you know, I think the vaccine will probably be okay, but I'm going to give it some time. I don't want to be the first out of the gate to see if anything crops up. And I now tell them that was fine then, but over 50 million people have received one of these messenger RNA vaccines. And that's quite an amazing number. Um, it's such a large number that I don't think we need to wait any longer. As a matter of fact, no vaccine has ever been released where after 3 million people have gotten it, an untoward side effect has been reported. Um, and this vaccine has had a remarkable safety record despite the fact that 50 million people have gotten it. Yes, there's a lot of reactogenicity, meaning there's a painful arm, fever, chill, sweats, malaise, not feeling well, but that pretty much all goes away between day two and at most day five, and serious side effects have not been reported. Equally um, reassuring is that there's been no problem in pregnant women getting the vaccine, and there's a lot of problems with COVID in pregnant women. So I am in favor of giving pregnant women the vaccine. There's no suggestion of any problem with fertility or with um, lactating women who want to continue to breastfeed. What, what, what do you recommend or what's the plan for people who did get vaccinated? Will they need booster shots at some point or, or have we gotten that far? Is this, or is this even being looked at yet? No, quite frankly, we have not gotten that far. Do I think there'll be booster shots? Yes. Do I think there'll be new vaccines that are going to be relatively easy to make? to fine tune against some of these variants, yes. Um, but from a realistic point of view, we have barely vaccinated or have immunity from natural infection with not even 50% of our population. 
So the first things are first. Let's get everybody at least with some baseline immunity so they don't die and get sick enough to be in the hospital. Down the line, all of those questions will be answered, including the most important ones, which is how long is this immunity going to last? When is my booster going to be due? Are there um, correlates that we can measure to determine if immunity is still present, like specific blood tests? And um, that's going to be another important um, aspect of this whole picture. Yeah, and if you are going to get the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine, and you're worried that it might, you know, be another three weeks or four weeks, I guess there, there, it does offer you protection right off the bat. Even the one dose is going to help. Oh, for sure, it takes a couple of weeks, but there's starts to be decent um, protection at two weeks, and that significantly grows at 28 days and continues to grow out to 70 days. Awesome. So we uh, we have another segment, a segment that we like to do, and it's called Off Your Chest. What is one of the things that you would um, like to 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 get off your chest to to get out in the, in the public uh, to try to set the record straight? Well, I think if I had to pick one thing, and I sort of have touched on it already, which is that look, COVID is the third most common cause of death now in the United States. Unbelievable statistic. Um, only heart disease and cancer cause more deaths every year in the, in the past year. In addition to which, in the elderly groups, COVID has replaced cancer as the second most common cause of death. Now, this has been a devastating pandemic for so many reasons that I don't need to reiterate to this group of people. It has affected virtually every part of our lives. And these vaccines are really manna from heaven in the sense that Without them, I think this, we would be in a catastrophic situation, literally. Um, and therefore, I really think that people should think about comparative efficacy, meaning what is my chance of getting sick and dying from COVID, whether I'm 18 or 80 years old, versus some really very theoretical risk from the vaccine. And to me, it's a no-brainer. To me, the most depressing part of what's happening now is that we only have 60% of our healthcare workers vaccinated. And what we're seeing is, particularly among um, the elderly people, they're very, very anxious, both healthcare workers and in the community, to get their vaccine. And they are getting it in very, very high percents, high 80s now. Whereas young people um, and uh, minority groups have been much more skeptical of that vaccine. And I wish there was a way that I could convince them that the waiting is over. Now is the time to get the vaccine. What do you say to somebody, maybe a cousin or a family member that might say to you, Dr. Farber, break it down to me in lay terms. Why should I not be afraid of that vaccine? Why is the vaccine safe? Well, I would say several things. One is this vaccine is not a live virus vaccine. This vaccine cannot give you COVID. All it is is a tiny particle of either messenger RNA, of the protein that the messenger RNA makes, or DNA that codes for a protein. We take in proteins all the time. We are exposed to proteins all of the time and DNA. These are not going to change your DNA. They are not going to reproduce within your cells and turn your cells into something they are not. 
I would love to say that, you know, my, my DNA could, could, could be changed to make me taller and stronger and a better <laughs> athlete, but these shots are not going to do that. And so they're just, all they're doing is stimulating your immune system to make one antibody against one specific protein of this virus. And so in many regards, they're much safer than many of the vaccines we continue to use and have used in the past. And I think the fact that 50 million people have already gotten a dose and we've detected no serious side effects is truly remarkable and amazing. How can we collectively prepare for the the variants that we know are already here? I think the only thing that we can do is is that there is, as rates have gone down in the past two weeks, and they have gone down significantly, there's no question about it, Um, but we're opening up very quickly, and we all want to open up. I mean, no one is more tired of this than, than I and everyone else who's listening. Restaurants, schools, every aspect of our life. And I think if we do it prudently and carefully, we're okay. But we need to keep a very close eye on those community rates of spread, uh, particularly in this interim period of time when vaccination is still not at very, very high levels. So I think the thing that is a prescription for disaster is to totally let down our guard and in the spring assume that, you know, we're had it with COVID, we're over COVID. As you know, we're, we'll be over COVID when COVID is over us, and that has not happened at the present time. And particularly with these variants circulating, I think we need to be extraordinarily careful and wise. And so we can open up our circles, but we need to do it slowly and carefully. And like the CDC's new guidance, which I particularly like on school reopenings, it's, um, it's mitigation based on rates of infection. So if you're in a school, for example, where there's very low rates of community spread, then it is gonna be possible to open up all classes and extracurricular activities and the like. If you're in an incident in an area where there's very high incidence of COVID, then it may be important just to open up the schools to young children who are between K and six years of age who need the in-person learning the most and avoid extracurricular activities and sports and clubs and other events and keep that class together so they don't circulate around other kids in the school. And that way, if there is a need to close, it's one classroom for five days, rather than closing the school for prolonged periods of time. And that mitigation policy is very analogous to what I think we're gonna have to do in our communities to deal with these variants. Well, Dr. Farber, so thank you so much for joining us on 20 Minute Health Talk. We always like to end on a positive note. So I want to just ask you, what gives you hope? What gives you optimism going forward? Uh, well, I am very positive that if we get uh, anything close to herd immunity, although COVID will not disappear, it will become something like influenza, a nasty virus in our background, but not straight and center in our everyday lives every single day. And I think that will happen as more and more people get vaccinated and quite frankly, get infected and have some at least basic level of immunity. Then if they get reinfected, even if it's with a different strain, it will not be nearly as severe. Awesome. Well, Dr. Farber, thank you so much for joining us on 20 Minute Health Talk. We really appreciate it. And for all the viewers who are tuned in, thank you for listening. Remember to stay safe and have a great week. 
Get more expert insight from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20 Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts.